past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidants and we're glad you're joining us here today. And today we have our guest, Jawad Hassan, who's going to be talking about how we can advance our career. And Jawad, this is based on your book, What They Didn't Tell Me, which is the lessons that you learned as you advanced your career. So we're so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Marie. Great to be here. Yeah, so you advanced through your career fairly quickly. You know, at 29, you were divisional CFO at GE Healthcare, and now you are the CFO of Axon, a publicly traded company. And so as you were moving through your career, obviously lots of of ups and downs just in the last, uh, you know, 10, 12 years. So what do you think are the biggest challenges for people trying to accelerate their careers today in the remote workforce? You know, in this environment, Marie, especially with so many people working from home, it's so important to stay visible. And unfortunately, that old adage is true, out of sight, out of mind. If you're not constantly staying in the orbit of your direct leadership team or your company's leadership team, it's easy to, to sort of toil away and, and, you know, lose that visibility. And that's, that's true, you know, in general, even in the workplace when you're in the office, one of the pieces of advice I got that was so helpful was to always over-communicate. You'll never be faulted for over-communicated. You'll generally be faulted for not communicating enough. Now, you may be told you could be more concise or you could, you know, from an executive communication standpoint, you can summarize things a little better. But, you know, in your particular job, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're an individual contributor right out of college or if you're a C-suite executive, um, you cannot communicate enough. And that's one thing I think is very important, especially in this environment when everyone's working from home, is to always be pushing out information. You know, you want to do it in, in a useful way that's where you're delivering insights to folks, but that's one way to stay visible, to make sure that you are sort of a broker of information and you're keeping different teams and functions connected. Well, and one of the things that we knew before the the pandemic was that if you are just have your head down and do great work, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be noticed and, and have those opportunities to advance. So now that's become exacerbated by the fact that people are putting their head down to do great work, but they don't even have the opportunities in the hallway or face-to-face in meetings. So this idea of out of sight, out of mind has gotten even even worse. So any other ideas for people that they can be that broker, they can be communicating? What other tips do you have for maintaining that visibility while they're working remotely? Yeah, you know, one of the best things that you can do, so we're kicking off a year um, in most companies, they're their calendar year aligns with their fiscal year. But as a company, like your operating mechanisms and your cadence for how you measure your progress throughout the year and companies call them different things. But those metrics and those KPIs, those are being defined now. And it's really important that you find a way to plug into those and understand what is your role in the company in driving a certain metric or a set of metrics and make sure that you're communicating your progress against those metrics. And if there are any risks, if there's any 
concerns or something that has come up that might cause your team or the company to miss a specific goal, make sure that you're signaling those ahead of time. Another adage that's also very true is that people generally, especially in leadership, don't like surprises. And one of the worst things that you can do is surprise your boss or your, you know, your C team or your board. Uh, you want to be communicating ahead of time. It also signals that you've got a command of your particular, you know, function of your business. If you can sort of quote unquote, see around corners and see what the risks are ahead of time. So I think that's a really good way, you know, when you're trying to think of ways for you to stay visible and to stay relevant, a really easy way to do that, that is not going to be necessarily viewed as like self-promoting is for you to be communicating, hey, I know we've got this objective. Here's how we're tracking against it. Here are some things I, I see that maybe risks or concerns uh, for us to consider in pursuit of this objective. Now here's some, and then also what you've got to do is not just raise a concern, but you've also got to come up with a plan to mitigate those risks and, you know, also offer up solutions. That's another thing that sets, I'd say top performers apart is to not only identify what the risks are before they happen, but also put forth and posit a solution so that people can understand what they can do about it and not just, you know, sort of raise the, uh, or ring the alarm bell. Yeah, that's something that, like you said, people say it all the time. Don't just say the problem, come up with some solutions. And depending on your role, know when it's appropriate that you maybe pose different solutions, but then you recommend one uh, that kind of step up to leadership. I think some people miss that, you know, yes, you're proposing solutions, but when you're starting to step into leadership, you also need to be recommending one of those solutions, not always expecting you know, a, a leader to say, this is the the one that I'm going to choose. Um, and I see that too, just that little space in leadership of when you're really ready to make that step up, you're not just suggesting solutions, but you're saying this is, this is the one that seems the best and why. That's, that's exactly right. I actually allude to that in my book, Marie, this idea, something I learned over the past few years, it's really important for you individually and as a, you know, as a leadership team, wherever you are in your career, to get to the right answer. And that's very different from you being right. And, and that's something that I'm always trying to be mindful of. Like when we're having a debate in Axon, we've got some just incredibly talented people, some very strong personalities. And when you're having a debate, it's easy to try to fall into this trap. Well, you know, I've made this point. I feel really strongly about it. And you want to, you want to be right, but that's different from getting to the right answer. Sometimes they're the same thing, but they're not always the same thing. And the most important thing that you can do is just set aside your ego and understand what is the right answer. And that's what you should be driving towards. Yeah, so if people are, are out there, they're trying to be visible remotely. As you said, they're communicating they're communicating the risks that they might see, solutions that they might see. And then my little career plug in there would to be also to be sharing how they enjoy or, or want to add that value because that can communicate their strengths without being, you know, salesy, as you say. So then one of the other topics that you bring up is this idea of uncoachable traits. Tell us a little bit more about this uncoachable traits and, and what hiring managers are looking for there. Yeah. So it really, for me, started with integrity. And this is the first uncoachable trait I talk about in my book. The idea that people generally have integrity, a sense of a, a strong sense of integrity of doing what's right, or they don't, and they look to cut corners. And there's other ways, there's many ways that that manifests itself. 
But I learned from a manager early in my career that when you identify someone that doesn't have integrity, what he said to me was, you will literally waste your time trying to coach that into that person. And your best bet is to separate, is, is to part ways. And so that's something I've held for a very long time was this idea that integrity was uncoachable. And as I progressed in my career and managed bigger and bigger teams and organizations and eventually companies, what I found was that it's not just integrity. It's also someone who has a strong sense of accountability, a sense of collaboration, or basically they view the success or they put the success of the team over their own individual success. And then finally, a sense of positivity. And that last one, I sometimes catch them flack for because people will say, well, I'm, I'm a realist. I'm not necessarily an optimist or a pessimist. And what I've learned over the course of my career is that the spectrum of positivity to negativity, it really comes to a pretty fine point. And why that's important is that in a moment of adversity, which way do you roll? Do you roll down the hill towards positivity or towards negativity? And I, I have found that people generally trend towards one or another. And where important again is when you're individually or as a team facing person to look at the challenge as an opportunity and roll up your sleeves and dive in and help your teammates or do you gripe and do you maybe blame others and point fingers and that's really what leads to a toxic work environment so those four traits together integrity accountability collaboration and then positivity i have learned at least in my career that i cannot coach those traits into people Okay. And you found that hiring managers are looking for these in interviews. Any clues as to the types of questions people are asking to seek those out? Yeah. So I, so in my, uh, at Axon, I own the finance, IT, and legal functions. Our consumer business also reports into me. And no one gets hired into any positions in those companies. It doesn't matter how junior they are without me being the final person on the interview. And I do that because I want to interview for these traits. And I keep it pretty simple. I ask people, tell me about a time that you had your integrity challenged. Um, tell me, like, how do you work through conflict with peers or, if, you know, with your manager? I look for, um, I ask people what they're proud of. Um, I will ask for examples when um, someone, basically, like, when someone's having a rough period of time, like, talk to me about what you're feeling and how you work yourself through that. And, and I look for those four traits specifically. What I don't always do is I don't always get it right, right? It's tough in a 30, 45 minute interview to always completely um, know when somebody's got those traits or not. So it becomes really important after you've hired the person and they're part of your team to or that you're doing the diligence as a manager and as a leader you know, of a larger organization that those folks are in fact exhibiting those traits. And the reason I do that with the interview is I want everyone on my existing team to know that people coming in were held to the same standard uh, so that we all can trust each other. And that's another central theme I talk about. The reason those four traits specifically are important to me is that collectively they serve as a heuristic or a, a shortcut basically for trust. So if you've got those mm. four traits, I, I know I can trust you. And I know that the rest of the team can trust you. And when you can, when the team trusts each other, you can just move so much more quickly. And so it becomes important if I do identify folks that don't have those traits, then I manage them out of the organization. And the one that I have like a basically no tolerance for is if I see someone with a lapse in, in integrity, that person is done that day. That's pretty few and far between. Usually what happens is people end up, um, the positivity one is one that it's really tough to see in an interview because everyone 
puts on their Sunday best and they give, you know, the, the, the right answer usually for positivity. But I have seen folks that, uh, again, in, in periods of adversity will end up being thick and that creates not a great work environment or they're not as collaborative or, again, they're more interested in being right personally than they are in getting the right answer. And those types of things I look for. And if you if we've identified that a person is not going to get there, you know, on one of those things, then we'll we'll manage them out. And we'll generally give them a soft landing and let them know, look, we're just, we're not a great fit. I I was very clear with you what my expectations were coming in, what my non-negotiables are. Unfortunately, it's just not a good fit. So let's find a way for you to, you know, exit gracefully. And then the other thing to keep in mind, Marie, is even if someone has those traits, it doesn't automatically mean that they're going to be successful. So that's another thing that I look for. And I've had a, a few folks recently where I've exited where they had those traits that everyone loved working with them because they had, Again, they had the traits in abundance, and they were they were fun to work with, and they were collaborative, et cetera. They're a great teammate, but they weren't very effective at their jobs. And so, the traits, those four traits, are again, I can, I can trust you, and I know I can trust you, but that's just table stakes. You also have to be very effective. Hmm. Excellent. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about if you can coach yourself on these four uncoachable traits. And we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Hello and welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we're talking with Jazad Asan, who is the author of they, what they didn't tell me. So we've been talking about these uncoachable traits that you've found and a little bit of the things that people ask for them. And and I think that I got them all down with the collaboration, accountability, integrity, and that positivity. Um, so tell me a little bit about what people can do if they feel like maybe they're not positivity, that's not their you know, they're kind of default. Are there things we can do to coach ourselves around these traits? 
Yeah, so I talk in the book about this idea of a North Star and defining for yourself, what is it that you want out of your life? Where are you headed? What do you want to accomplish? And then working backwards from there. And I think once you've defined that path, you can then start to define for yourself, like, what are what are your own principles and values and what's really important to you? And rather than trying to align, like, my four uncoachable traits, for example, those are mine. I'm not, you know, they're not obviously universal. Um and so folks sometimes will, will want a job at Axon and I'll interview them. And, you know, they don't, there's something I can very clearly see. I'll give you a quick example. I interviewed someone once asking the integrity question. Tell me about a time that your integrity was challenged. And they laid out this whole story about how they were, um, this was someone who worked on the accounting team. And they, they gave an example of how they uh, were asked by a salesperson to take some type of a shortcut on revenue and recognize revenue in a way that wasn't. Um, you know, it wasn't exactly kosher. And they were lining the story up, and I was like, yep, this is great. This is exactly the kind of thing I was looking for. They're going to tell me how they took a stand. And what they instead decided to do is tell me how they helped find another way to take a shortcut without being caught. And I just was like, look, that's good for you, and, like, you clearly, you feel some pride in that. But this is not a, a mutual fit. Like, I, you know, I have a zero-tolerance policy on integrity. And, like, as a company, you know, we're a publicly traded company. Investors have to trust in the integrity of our financials. And I can't worry about a revenue accountant taking shortcuts on, you know, on revenue recognition. And so for that person, if they find, if they, if they have pride in the shortcuts that they take, maybe that's just who you are as a person. And look, find, you know, find the right uh, fit for yourself from a career standpoint. But I think the important thing is like, you know, you want to, you want to stay true to yourself and you want to stay true to your North Star and don't mold yourself to be someone that you're not. Mm. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to your point earlier about having to feel like you're pushy, you're selling yourself. And usually that comes when we're in a place that doesn't value who we are. And so we have to, you know, be really loud about who we are to feel valued or be something that we're not to feel valued. And if we're in a place that values us, I mean, we still have to be communicating and and visible, but we shouldn't have to be pushy about about that. And so finding that connection with the company is really powerful. Um, any other thoughts about if people think, you know, maybe they would like to be more positive? Have you seen people be successful in making some changes around some of those behaviors? Yes. So I actually would, um, would tell you this is something that I struggled with early in my career. I just felt like sometimes the cards were stacked against me and I would default a little bit to the, you know, a little bit to the victim mentality, like, Hey, this, you know, whatever situation it is or whatever promotion or, you know, job I wanted didn't work out for me and would uh, blame a manager or, you know, some other circumstance. And, and I talk about this in my book, I started looking inwardly more, you know, more often and I started getting more introspective and really examining why did I, why exactly did I fail? Like, let's, let's just put aside the external factors. Cause you've, you know, you've, you've sort of raved, you know, raged against those for some time now. Like now let's just, now let's look in the mirror and let's figure out what was it that you did that you could have done differently. And that's when I started noticing a difference in my own development. And I started being really more open to feedback and I, and I stopped getting defensive. And so, you know, I started really asking more for feedback and, it's tough sometimes, you, you know, you ask for feedback and people will tell you and then, and then the natural inclination is to come up with a set of justifications as to why they're wrong. 
and I stopped doing that. And when I, when I stopped doing that and I started really reflecting on what people were telling me, I started seeing the truth and, you know, and the wisdom and what they were telling me. That's, that's what allowed me, uh, and I talk in the book about a couple of interviews I had that just went spectacularly wrong. And I ended up pivoting those interviews to, Hey, let's just stop the interview. Can you just give me advice? Like, I'd just love to pick your brain on how could I, how can I end up from where I am today to being a CFO? Tell me the, the path I need to take or the experiences I need to go get. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I was still, you know, in this defensive mindset. And so for me, making that shift, I would argue is indicative of being more positive and having a more positive outlook. And it really helped me in my career. Yeah, looking for that constructive piece and it, that kind of humility that it takes to say, you know, this, I have things I can learn, I have things I can get better at, but also the confidence to not let that squish, um, squish your ambition. And it sounds like you found a happy medium there of using that feedback and taking it and integrating it versus having those negative feedback reflect on your value or your worth or your potential. Yeah, Marie, you said a word in there that's just so critically important, and that's confidence. And that's probably that's probably been one of the biggest factors for where I, I mean, there have been lots of factors that help contribute to get to where I am today, but one of the biggest ones has been confidence. And for me, um, there were lots of different points at which I felt like I was gaining confidence and, you know, little chunks here and there as I progressed in my career. But one place in particular where it, it really, I had to get into it very, very quickly was when I uh, went to MIT for my MBA. And before I got there, they told us, look, MIT is a very math intensive place and you've got to be ready for it. So I took a whole summer of um, math prep work just to be prepared just so I could go in and just, you know, dust off the algebra and the calculus, et cetera. And I, I get to school my very first day in class. The professor starts writing these like integrals and all these like really detailed formulas on the, on the, on the, um, on the board. And I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? I just am not prepared for this. It was just weighing over my head. And I'm sitting in a classroom full of super intelligent people and had a bit of that imposter syndrome. And then I realized, you know what? I can't do this. I cannot let the self-doubt seep in. I'm just going to fall behind. I'm never going to recover. And I just, at that point, was like, you know what? I'm going to break this down into the smallest possible pieces and just take this a little bit of time. And you basically, had to, I had to grow into that confidence almost overnight. And by the end of my MBA, the experience at MIT, what I realized was, and I actually, this is one of the reasons I, I don't typically describe people as smart. Um, you know, what I found is that really, really quote unquote smart people spend a lot of time at whatever it is their craft is, right? They, they put in the cycles, they put in the work. Um, I graduated from MIT with straight A's and I didn't have great grades undergrad. So it's not like I've got some off the chart IQ. I don't. I just worked exceptionally hard at making sure you know, I did a lot of work. I, you know, I didn't, I made the trade-offs. I would do the homework instead of, you know, watching Netflix or whatever it is. And I just put in the cycles. Yeah. And that, you know, combination of drive or I would say kind of that pull to why you were there, plus the commitment to, making the best of it that you could. And, and I'm guessing that you had a pretty compelling why to where, to why you were in that program. 
Uh, why I was in the MIT MBA program? Yeah. Yeah, that, I just, at that point in my career, felt like I wasn't getting what I needed from, from GE. I, I started at GE in 2001. I felt like I was going to be there for my entire career. I just loved the company, how diverse it was. Um, but then I got to a point in my career where I felt like I wasn't learning as much on the job and I needed to augment my experiences. I thought I, I wanted to get my MBA when I first went in and I you know, was, um, thought I'd do it a couple of years and then go get my MBA. And I kept taking the next job because I felt like what I would learn in the next job would outstrip what I would learn in the classroom. And then at one particular junction in my career, I spun off a division of, um, of GE into a joint venture with Microsoft. And that experience working with bankers and lawyers, you know, externally working with another company, I realized just how much GE wasn't going to be able to teach me. So I, that's when I decided I was going to go, go get the MBA. Yeah, yeah, and um, just having that connection. I mean, you see a lot of people think they're going to go get their MBA because it's the next checkbox, and then they kind of struggle or flounder because that doesn't, they're not, they don't really have that connection to why they're there. So I was just guessing that there was a pretty strong connection to why you were there for you to to put in that work and have those types of results. So um, it's yep. a great story. I'm such a big fan so, of the MBA. I think every go get it. It doesn't matter what you do. If you work in any capacity, it doesn't, you could be a teacher, you could be anything, you should get an MBA. I think it's so valuable. Ah, good, good. So tell us, we're kind of um, finishing up here, but tell me who has been your biggest inspiration and who's given you the worst advice? My biggest inspiration, oh man, there's, there's a few. So one of them I would say is Russell Stokes. He is currently the CEO of GE Power. I had the good fortune of working for him early in my career at GE uh, as a direct manager. And he was uh, someone who came in through finance at GE and was just a really good operator and just got his arms around the business. And he was a prototype for what I would consider a CFO slash finance leader who was more than just a, a finance person. And he's you know leveraged that to great success in his career. He's now obviously a CEO of a giant business. And he had this just incredible energy and optimism and his communication style was very positive and he was just a joy to work around. And I think that I patterned a lot of my leadership style after Russell's. I'd say Russell's probably the biggest inspiration. And then worst advice, I talk about it in the book. I'm not going to name any names, but I had a a couple of managers, two or three managers actually, that uh, literally told me to my face that there's something wrong with the way I learn or process information. Um, And, you know, look, I, th- I think there's a real possibility that I may have some type of learning disability. I was just never diagnosed. And at this point, I'm not interested in going to get tested because I've, I've done okay and I'd rather not know. Um, but, I, you know, that to me, it wasn't helpful feedback because there was nothing constructive about it. When someone tells you there's something wrong with the way you learn or you're a very rote learner, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that, right? Like, I, and it just, it really, what it did was just blow a hole in my confidence. And I did for a point in my career think about going to get tested and figuring out is there, you know, something that maybe in my development that wasn't normal and, you know, how do I work around that? And ultimately it didn't matter. You know, I ultimately what mattered was just really focusing on my own development. I was pretty self-aware by, you know, 10 years in my career, figuring out where are the holes and gaps I need to work on. And again, listening to feedback, listening to others. Uh, and, And again, I think the key thing is, understanding which feedback is worth listening to and worth acting on and which one do you 
listen to politely, but then just discard because not all feedback is good. Yes. Yes. What is that feedback going to do for you and where do you want to take it? So tell people where they can find the book and how they can connect with you. So the book's available on Amazon. You, there's a um, hardcover paperback Kindle. The audiobook is coming out in the next week or two. And then I also have the book for sale on my personal website, jawadasan.com. And if you buy it from there, I will send you a signed copy. Oh, that's great. All right. So Jawadasan and the book is What They Didn't Tell Me. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we are going to be back here on The Career Confidant, but we'll say goodbye to Jawad. So thank you so much. And we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Simonoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Hello and welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we were talking with Jawad Hassan about how you can advance your career and really and learning some of these lessons that he learned the hard way, it sounds like, in some cases. And one of the things that I really clued in on what he was saying was this idea that every every person you work for, every company you work for is going to have certain things that they're looking for. And some of those may seem like, well, yeah, everybody's looking for that, like maybe integrity, but, and, you know, we can put value judgments on those things, but when it really comes down to it, we have to figure out if we align with the boss and with the organization that we're going to, we're going to work for. And, the questions that he was talking about are, are, you know, the interview questions that people ask, tell me about a time your integrity was questioned or your integrity was challenged. 
and we can answer questions about that. But we might also think about how we can identify those things that are non-negotiable to us, what is really important to us, and then how can we identify if that connects to the company that we're that we're looking at. And you probably wouldn't ask your boss in an interview, your your future boss, tell me about a time when your integrity was was questioned. But there probably is a question you could ask around that. You know, how do you view or what would you want your employee to do? What what does your team do if they find that the sales team is asking them to to do something different with the numbers? And it have to be specific to your situation, but you might think about what question could I ask that would help me identify my non-negotiables in an interview. And then, of course, you have to be ready to say no if that's not a good fit for you. But this is one of the processes that we talk about here on the show because, of course, it's part of that personal branding process to really understand where do you want to go in your career, what's really important to you, those goals, those values, what are your your strengths and, and those pieces of you that you want to make sure are visible where you are. Because when you know those things, then it's a lot easier to communicate them on a consistent basis and not have to feel like you're being pushy or or finding that you consistently don't fit within the environments that you end up in. And it's going to happen, of course, but when we're consistently finding that we just don't, we're just not ending up where we're a good fit, there might be some disconnect between what we know about ourselves and and what we need to know about ourselves to identify those opportunities that are a good fit. And some of you are probably listening to these that saying, you know, yeah, I'd love to work for that person. And some of you probably listening to it and say, no, that's not a good fit. And those are the types of conversations that we want to be able to have and, and to know before we start working for someone. And more and more companies have started doing, you know, videos on the company websites and those types of things that would help us identify a little bit more. Is this a good place for me or not? Now, there might be those times where we need a job and, you know, we, we kind of align with this company. So we make it work. But when we're looking at the long-term kind of health of our career, being in in places that do fit better with our goals and our growth and our values and all the different pieces of our brand will be more successful. And it's not always, well, it's not ever, (laughs) not ever going to be ideal, but we can continue moving towards that. And the first step towards moving, moving towards that is, is of course to, be always thinking about and gathering a better understanding of our brand. The other thing that really stuck with me with, with what Jawad was saying was this inter- introspective percept- introspective perspective <laughs> that he took to really say, okay, when I'm getting this negative feedback, there's the part of me that wants to be defensive. And then there's the, the truth and the wisdom and the difference that I can make in my own life if I pay attention to that. And I think some of that comes with age and and some of it we can get better at every day. Looking at that defensiveness that naturally comes up and saying, you know, okay, I'm gonna recognize that and then I'm gonna see how quickly I can move out of that and find the nuggets of truth in this that are helpful for me. And not all feedback is going to be helpful. Not all feedback is constructive. 
um, and we don't need to take in everything. And if we are paying attention to what, why is that happening? What, what is that feedback that I'm getting? And what can I or do I want to do differently because of that feedback? That's how we grow and how we progress in our career. And really, that mindset is that kind of that growth mindset, right? That feedback is a tool to help me do better instead of to, feedback means that I am, you know, not ever going to make anything of myself or taking it to that really dark place. That, that mindset, that resilience is figuring out a way to, to find the useful pieces of that feedback and to do something with it. And sometimes I find like I could even do that to myself, right? We give ourselves negative feedback, negative self-talk. It's okay. What do I want to do with that? Or why am I telling myself that? Uh, what What is making me feel that negative feeling, whatever it might be? And, and how, what do I want to do with that? Because otherwise I'm just sitting around spinning the same yarn over and over again and um, creating a big ball of mess, whether that may be physically and in stress in my physical body or maybe in my, uh, in, even in my work life, in my social group, in my work group, I can spin that same yarn where it just that's those same patterns over and over again. And I never break out of them or, or get to a different place with those people or with those behaviors in my life. And that was a pretty am- amazing thing for him to have recognized and to take on and, and probably a big part of his success and his trajectory. So if you read his bio at 29, um, you know, he decided he wanted to be an executive at 34. He was CFO at GE Healthcare. And then uh, now at, at 37, um, I don't know how many years ago that was, but at 37, he was CFO at um, the, his new company. That success we oftentimes think about comes from kind of earning it. And although there's part of that, I would say that the growth mindset that he took on is probably a big part of it. And then his relationships, and you could kind of hear that throughout this too, the individuals that he works with and that he learned from and still sounds like he's somewhat connected to really being able to nurture those, those relationships as he went along to build that to build that into his career. So thinking about kind of going back to the beginning here, advancing our career right now is a challenge. There are more opportunities and some of the data will show that a lot of internal opportunities are happening right now. Companies are trying to decrease their risk and they're also, there are opportunities, but they're kind of shifting, right? And so they're trying to keep people that maybe they're losing business in this area, but they're growing business in this other area. So there are a lot of internal opportunities right now. And when you think about that internal organization, 
this might be the hardest time to feel like you can stay connected to them. There's no water cooler. There's no company meeting. You know, how can you build those connections? And we've talked about this a little bit, but just circling back to it here, because you mentioned it at the very beginning of our call, that communication and connection is so important. And if you're a leader, you may be communicating out to your team. If you're an individual, how could you communicate out to your team? How can you make sure you're communicating to your boss? And then what other ways are there to build visibility outside your direct team? Because the internal opportunities even that are going to happen now may not be in your direct division and your direct team. So how can you build visibility outside of that? And just seeing some things that people are doing right now that might help. So there are still big corporate events that are happening. Is there an opportunity to participate in bigger meetings, division meetings, whatever it might be, where you could get on and listen but also find opportunities to connect with other people in the chat. People have gotten more and more used to this virtual event thing and the idea that you can chat in the chat while someone else is speaking, and that's perfectly okay, that you can you can connect. So ask a question in the chat. Respond to people's questions, even if it's just an, oh, that's a great question. It's not the best, but it's better than nothing. It gets your name into the chat. It gives you an opportunity for that person to respond back to you. And you may have to be the instigator a little bit if other people in your company aren't as comfortable. Maybe you're not either, but you can do it. That just finding some opportunities to have that visual visibility in those types of opportunities, just like you would have if they were in person. In fact, it might be easier now because you can have that opportunity to respond to someone's chat um, question or, or response and then connect. The other sweet place that you can do this, depending on how things go in your industry, is LinkedIn. So more and more people are active on LinkedIn. And no matter where you are in the business, if you respond to your company, even your company's posts on LinkedIn with an insightful question or a comment, you might get some opportunity to engage with the sales or marketing staff. And you think, well, why does that matter? Well, there might be other people who are reading those that aren't in sales and marketing, and they're going to notice that you're interacting because not very many people are, but some people are, and you'll get that opportunity to grow your visibility that way. And then, of course, very targeted networking. So the thing I love about internal postings in most organizations is that you can see way more information than you get to see when you're applying to a position that might be posted publicly. That internal listing will most likely tell you who the hiring manager is, who the HR person is that's responsible for that role. And you can do some spectacular networking with that information. So connecting to that direct boss and saying, you know, hey, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the the organization and the team and where you're headed with this. If they don't respond, you know, it really doesn't hurt you. But if they do, you get that opportunity to connect. You get that opportunity to ask them questions about 
you know, if you have to relocate, what does that look like? What do they like about living where they, they live? Not the logistics of relocating, like, you know, do you, does it pay? No, no, we're not doing that on the first date. But we are giving, you know, what it, what does that look like? And how might you ask questions that just connect you, get to know them, and make you a little bit more of a known entity so that you can be that lower risk when they're looking to hire someone new into the division. All right, so we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, talk about what you can do to show these coachable traits and to identify if something's the right fit. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Hello and welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we were talking with Jawad Hassan, the author of What They Didn't Tell Me, and really talking about how as a an employee or as a leader, I think we're all leaders in some way and can take on a leadership role, especially if that's something we're looking to do. So how do we do that well and how do we manage our career now and be resilient as we move forward? And so I just want to go through these points that he made. So staying visible, remembering that out of sight is out of mind. And this in some ways may be more challenging virtually. And there's also some different opportunities that might be easier to access because we're doing this virtually. Over communicate, understand how you can identify what's coming next and offer solutions to help your leaders mitigate those risks. And that next level leadership is not just to identify the solutions, but to recommend one, come forward with those ideas. You may have multiple options, but to be okay saying this is this is what seems like the best course and why, while also being open to and, and inviting those 
collaborative opportunities to make that solution even better. Then to realize that you are connected to the values of your organization, whether you've done it thoughtfully, consciously or not. Do you know what is important to you in your career? What matters, what your values are, and this doesn't necessarily mean, you know, kind of your morals, but what do you value out of work? What are you looking for out of your work experience? And what's really important to you to get out of work itself, to get out of the engagement that you have with an organization? Because you first have to know those things, and then you can investigate those as you interview with new parts of your organization or with new organizations that you might want to be going into. And even when things get challenging and the job search, you know, you feel like I just need something, finding those points where you align, even if you don't align with everything, being able to find those points where you align will help you feel better about that decision and help you feel that fit with the organization. The organization will feel like you're a fit too. And that is important. Making that connection is what's going to make that interview more successful. And of course, make you more successful when you're there. Then thinking about how can you see feedback differently and train yourself, teach yourself to deal with that defensiveness differently. We all have it. It happens. It's natural. Um, I think to pretend like you're not defensive doesn't necessarily help. It's realizing that, oh, that hurts. And what am I going to do differently about that? And how am I going to respond differently? And learning to manage our response because usually you get defensive and then you go, oh, yeah, I can see that, right? But if we responded too strongly with that defensiveness in the moment, the kind of, oh, yeah, I can see that doesn't matter as much anymore. And the person that we would like to see that we have changed or give us that opportunity to to change may not be able to do so anymore, depending on how, how we reacted. And the more that we can help ourselves recognize that quicker and be in charge of our emotions, right? That's that emotional intelligence. How can we recognize our response faster and not ignore the reaction, but anticipate it, manage it, use what's valuable from it, and then use what's valuable from the feedback. Because when we can do that, then We show that growth mindset and we just take a different approach to our career that even if other people don't see it, makes us more successful. Um, But, you know, I got some very important and critical, painful feedback about defensiveness early in my career. And it's something that I'm still aware of, I still struggle with. But you can learn to react differently, ask questions differently, respond differently. It's part of 
maybe what's being virtual that helps a little bit is that you can take that breath, take that time, and think about how you want to respond differently. And that is emotional intelligence. That's growing our skill set. And most people aren't born with it. They've had to learn it at some point, or they haven't, and you can tell, right? <laughs> and that's 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 okay. We're all human. We all make mistakes. Learning and recognizing the importance of that mindset and that hunger to do better and flipping that perspective, that reaction when we get feedback really can make a huge difference in how resilient we are, in how effective we are as a leader or as an employee, and really how happy we are with our career because we're going to get negative feedback no matter what business you work in or what level you're at, even if you don't have a boss, <laughs> you're going to get negative feedback from your customers. And what you do with it and how it impacts your behavior, but also how you're able to maintain your confidence and self-assuredness throughout that feedback is going to make a big difference in, in where you go. And I never really saw myself as having a boatload of confidence. But when I look at and I hear someone like Jawad talk about this interplay between getting feedback, but being able to keep moving forward and not letting it squish you down, I realized that that self-assuredness that I didn't ever really even think I had really does play a big role in being able to be consistent and effective consistently because when you don't have it you tend to not you tend to stop acting because you got negative feedback and that's the worst thing that we can do how can you take that feedback incorporate it where it needs to be and then keep moving and that's that growth mindset and that's that resilience so hopefully he gave you some ideas for being able to do that so that even during this challenging time, um, and you know, not the toxic positivity that we all have to stay positive, but that we can take the negative and figure out how we want to use it. We can recognize it. We can acknowledge it. We can decide how long we want to feel those negative feelings and especially grief that we acknowledge that relationship. Um, I know many of us, myself included, have lost loved ones, friends, and how we want to use that in our daily life and, and put it to work. That's the choice that we get to make. So we'll be right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. We're going to be talking to Barbara Bissonette, who's just an amazing trainer and teacher around how people with cognitive differences, autism, um, Asperger's, can move forward in the workplace and how you can help them and how you can be more effective leading those folks if you're a leader. So I'm excited about that and look forward to being right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.